Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. First Peter chapter 5. And before we read the text... I'm going to try something. Simon says, raise your right hand. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) I'm not going to keep going on that. Isn't it interesting how most of you didn't even miss a beat? And it starts even at a very young age. We learn this game, Simon Says. And as a a young child, it brings such great joy. And especially if you're the one who gets to be Simon. Because in a moment of time, everyone's going to do whatever you want them to do. And it not only becomes an exercise in leading and following, but also listening, because you've got to be careful. If Simon doesn't say, then you better not do it. And the reason that I bring this image picture up is because there's something ingrained in us that draws us to want to lead. It can be exhilarating to have people do what you do and over time if we're not careful we lose sight of leading others towards what where where instead of leading others towards where they should go we can easily become fixating become fixated on getting them to go where we want them to go when this shifts over to a spiritual dynamic if we're not careful Leadership, even amongst those in the church, can easily become something that is wielded over people seeking to get them or convince them to get to a certain place instead of humbly leading them to where God would have them be. Now, this section of 1 Peter chapter 5, really just the first four verses stands out from the rest because Peter shifts his exhortations away from the whole of the people and focuses in on one specific group within the people. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
So when we stop and we pause for a moment to consider these instructions, I want you to recognize, first of all, that this instruction is to a specific group, leaders, elders in the church. Now, we read this word elders, especially if we're not familiar with the biblical text, we might go, well, wait a minute. When I hear the word elder, what do I automatically think of? Old, right? Old. And so if you aren't careful, the interpretive mistake we can make is that Peter's writing to the older members of the church all across Turkey. And in fact, this, the, the, the word elder there can mean that. But interpretively, if we look at verse two, where it says that, that first exhortation shepherd the flock of God that is among you then all of a sudden it should change the tune of what this word means when it says elder. And in fact, what it's specifically referring to is what much of the New Testament refers to as elders, which is those who have been given the shepherding responsibility in the body of Christ. Those who have been tasked by God specifically to care for, shepherd, and lead the church in the direction that God has said it should go. And so, understanding who the exhortations are focused on will help hone this in. And you may be sitting here and going, well, okay, if this exhortation in First Peter 5 is specifically to the elders in the church, then why don't we have an elder meeting and talk about this and talk about something that applies to the whole? Well... Because you and I as a whole are responsible for having an accurate set of standards by which we say this person leads the way God has said they should lead. And the only way that we as a church remain pure in the way that God has called us to be is if there's accountability that says If our leaders are not looking like what scripture says they should, I'm going to say something about it. And so it is crucial for you and I corporately to know what is it that God calls a leader in the church to look like. So that I can know what ones are leaders and what ones are imposters. Because family, there are many Imposters in the global church today. Paul warned Timothy that the number of imposters seeking to lead people will increase the closer we get to Jesus' return. So take this as a training in how to identify a counterfeit leader in the church. And understand that it is our desire and aim that anybody who be leading in the role of elder or shepherd in the church be leading biblically, not just in a secular way that we would say, yeah, they're a leader. And ultimately, at the end of all of this, there's application as we understand the picture of a biblical elder. That is true for each one of us. And if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to get grasp hold of this. Leading biblically looks like Jesus. Leading biblically looks like Christ. 
And I'm going to correlate as we go through this, these short four verses, I'm going to correlate this to the character of Christ through the book of John. And it's amazing how you can tie the two together and go, Jesus modeled exactly what Peter here calls the elders in the church of modern day Turkey to, of which you and I have a responsibility to hold to. So there's three exhortations that I want to draw out today in these four verses. The first one is this. Lead willingly, not under compulsion. Lead willingly, not under compulsion. The simplicity of this command is this. If you are being forced to lead, don't lead. If you feel like you are being manipulated into a position of leadership, don't do it. God does not call people into any role of service out of manipulation or compulsion. And in fact, this very concept of lead willingly, not because you're compelled to, doesn't just apply to leading. It also applies to who we are as followers of Jesus when we think about generosity. And the most notable place we see this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul instructs the church at Corinth that each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. Now, here's where we make a mistake. Most of the time we read this passage and we apply it only to money. And we read 2 Corinthians 9, which, to be fair, there's a lot of people who take 2 Corinthians 9 and apply it only to money. And they teach people to apply it only to money. This is true about everything that we do, family. God does not call you to serve other people out of compulsion. But you should serve willingly out of a heart that goes, I understand that I have salvation in Christ alone. Not because of anything I've done. Because I, before Christ, am a person who is Stuck in my sin. I've been set free in Jesus. So what is the what is the response of me being set free from Jesus? I'm going to serve the Lord. Nobody's nobody's going to compel me to do that. I'm just going to do it. Because look at what Jesus did for me. Not under compulsion, but willingly. The same should be true about our financial resources and stewardship. It absolutely should apply to this. Because here's the thing, family. If I withhold anything from being used by God, then whatever I'm withholding is really an idol for me. If if I'm withholding anything and I say, God, you can use everything you want except don't, don't touch this. That is your idol. Uh, God, you can do anything with me you want, but please just don't do this. That that has become your idol, whatever that is. The same can be true about leading if we feel obligated or compelled into a specific leadership role. Instead of going, you know what? The Lord has placed a burden on my heart to do this. Therefore, any elders in the church should be ones who lead willingly, not out of compulsion. 
Well, practically speaking, how do we make sure that's the case? Well, uh, for those of you who've been a part of our membership meetings the last couple of years, you would know that we actually changed the minimum number of elders who are serving on our elder team. And the reason we did that is because we said we're not going to put people in our leadership roles who are just filling seats. Our bylaws say that we have to have a minimum of five people. What if we have a period of time where we don't have five willing leaders? What happens? Well, I don't think the church should shut down. Instead, we should approach this and go, who is willing and called by God to shepherd the church well? And if that is... In abundance, in a season, praise God. But if that is a a few in a season, praise God that we have any. Because many don't. So that's one practical way that we go, we don't want leaders serving as elders in our church if they're feeling compelled to serve. We want leaders, elders in our church leading and shepherding our people because they go, I can't get away from the desire to shepherd people well. And it's one of the reasons that even me personally, I will tell all of you this without any fear or shame. If there came a day that the church said, you know what, Matt, I just don't think we can afford to pay you. I would go, well, that's okay. I'm I'm just not going to do a lot of administrative stuff I do now, but I'm going to continue caring for people and teaching the word because y'all don't pay me to do that. I'll just be frank with you. I have been called by God to do that, whether you could pay me or not. Because that's, that's the, that's, I, I cannot, I cannot escape that. I cannot get away from that because you all didn't hire me to do that. God called me to do that. And so I say that because sometimes we, we elevate these positions and say, well, how is it? You know, they're obviously going to do that because, well, that's what they've been hired to do. Or that's that's the role that they've been tasked to do. Well, what is it that God has called us to? And that question should be answered in every single one of our lives. Because according to Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, every single one of us has a... Every person who has said, I follow Jesus, I believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, has been given a spiritual gift... And the whole of all of your giftings are needed. Not because you're compelled to do that, but because you understand that and go, I can't wait to serve the Lord. Specifically to elders, we don't want you in a position of shepherding the church if you are not willing to do so. Some people struggle to see themselves as qualified. This is something I probably encounter more than anything. I think I have more people who are willing but don't feel they're quote-unquote qualified. And this is largely because we have equated spiritual leadership with secular leadership. And I want you to hear this. Willingness does not always equate to confidence. It is better to be a willing leader who is humble than a confident leader who is proud. It is why I will always, 
encourage someone in the church who may be a background person who just shepherds people well to lead. Whereas a person who just wants to be up front all the time and naturally wants to draw attention to themselves, I'm going to be way more cautious. Because at the end of the day, leadership in the kingdom of God is more about following than it is about leading. And we will fail to lead well if we convince ourselves that we are steering this ship. Family, we are just officers on the same boat as you. And the captain is the king of kings. It's important that we understand leadership in the church, not from the way the secular world identifies leaders. There are some of you who are phenomenal business leaders, but God has not called you to lead in the church. Because you may be a business person who's really good with finances and numbers, but you struggle to empathize and care for people. And those who shepherd and lead the church well in the kingdom of God, there's giftings and priorities that are different and should be different than leading in the world. I say that both as an accountability, but also as an exhortation to some of you who I see those qualities of shepherding in, but are shying away from that in your life because you go, I just don't think I'm qualified. And I want to challenge you to think through and say, what is it that God is calling me to? Not what is it that I think that I am worthy of? Jesus models this really clearly in John chapter 6, verse 38. Leading willingly, not under compulsion. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It's John 6 verse 38. And we could echo that with Philippians chapter 2. Which says that though Jesus was in the form of God. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But humbled himself. Taking the form of what? A servant. And he lived that out in his ministry. His time here. The second exhortation we see in 1 Peter chapter 5 is uh, that elders would not only lead willingly, but to lead eagerly, not for shameful gain. Uh, The obvious question here is, what is shameful gain? We could list a lot of these. To make yourself feel good, to bolster your own resume, or to emphasize your own character. Leading for shameful gain is leading in a way that my name is exalted, not God's. A leading for shameful gain is leading in a way that my purposes happen, not His. Leading for shameful gain is that I would be secure and firmly planted instead of truth. And yet the reality is all of this All of these exhortations, I want you to pause and think about everything that Peter has written to the church thus far. All the way back to chapter 1. Because he's exhorting the leaders in the church in light of everything that was said before this. So, I mean, just to give a snapshot. in, In light of being born again to a living hope in Jesus, lead this way. In light of a call to be holy... Lead this way. In light of the reminder that the church is living stones, 
rejected by men, but precious to God. In light of the various authority structures that exist and how we respond, in light of being stewards of God's grace, and in light of being prepared to suffer immensely for the sake of Jesus, lead this way. And then comes out of the gate and says, elders, lead biblically, shepherd the flock of God, uh, lead willingly, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And if we put ourselves in the shoes of these, of these leaders, we might be looking at the times and going, I don't, I don't know that I'm eager to lead in this. I, I don't know that that's the word I would describe. Church family, when we encounter really difficult situations here as, as leaders and shepherds, I can't say that I look at those and go, I am excited to deal with sin. There's a lot of days it's just hard. There's a lot of days it would just be easier to throw in the towel and go, you know what? I want to just go live in a cabin in the woods by myself and never see anyone again. And don't tell me some of you haven't had that exact same thought. (laughs) Because there's days that that's the case. And so you look at that and you go, why? Why would someone willingly and eagerly say, I will shepherd the church? And it comes from the gospel. Why would Jesus leave heaven? And suffer a gruesome death for a group of sinners. And it, it extends from the same love. At least it should. It should. It should extend from the same yearning to see people walk in a new way of life. It, it should extend from the same understanding of going... Gosh, look, look at how God in Christ has loved us. That's, that has to be the root that creates this eagerness to shepherd other people. I want you to experience the same joy that I experience, the same confidence I experience in Jesus. And yet in the same breath, I could tell you that that's also what makes leading in the church the most painful thing to do. Because every week you see people who hinder the work that God has offered. Every week you see people who hear those truths but do their own thing. And yet in the scope of this, God is faithful. God is faithful. John ten eighteen. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. The charge I have received, this charge I have received from my father. Jesus knew exactly why he was here. John 10 verse 18. Jesus makes it clear that nobody does this to him. And one might argue, 
Could you paint the picture of eagerness in Christ? I can't answer that specifically. And yet, Jesus had a joy in seeing people choose the way. A way that was only found in Him. Lead willingly, lead eagerly, not for shameful gain. The third exhortation, lead by example. Verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. My simple reminder here to those leading in the church to lead by example is don't expect the flock to do what you aren't doing. Don't expect the flock to do what you aren't doing. That means if we're leading in the church and we call people to give generously, we ought to be giving generously. If we're seeking to walk with people and striving to live a life of repentance and confession and humility, then we need to be a people of a leadership team of repentance and confession and humility. If we are calling the people to care well for one another, then we need to be caring well for the people God's entrusted to us. If we're calling the people to be those who serve without grumbling or complaining, then we need to be a people who lead without grumbling or complaining. And I will confess that that's been hard for me the last couple of weeks. It's easy to fall into that trap. And just want things to go the way I want them to go. Instead of leaning fully upon the Lord. It's the principle that more is caught than is taught. And I can stand up here and speak words to you all day long. But it's one thing to hear the words. It's another to see the actions, isn't it? To not just be a leadership who says what should be, but actually lives it out. Leading by example requires, this is important, leading by example requires leading while others aren't around. It's easy to get up here and lead while other people are watching. It's a lot harder to step into your own homes and lead the same way there. That's why I would I would tell every one of you, and I give you the license to do this, not all at once because it will be overwhelming. At any point in time, I encourage you to talk with my wife to make sure that I'm not just leading here, that I'm leading in my home. That I'm being a steward of what God's entrusted to me there. Because that's one of the qualifications Paul gives Timothy. If I'm, if I'm not leading well there, I have no business leading here. And the same is true for every one of ours, uh, every one of our leaders. And I can tell you, I would much rather be told, Matt, I think you need to step away from leading for a season to make sure that stuff is right. Than to just be allowed to go on because the perception is, man, he's leading so well. Make sure that's true across the board, family. That we're not a people who just hides realities because we see positives. But rather that we would seek to bring things to the light and be a people who make others aware that we take this seriously. Because at the end of the day, family, this is not, this is not. 
about organizational thriving and success. This is about the glory of God. We could see this place packed full every week and not be leading towards the things God actually desires. May that never be true. We could get a lot of people excited about a lot of different things and completely miss the gospel. We could devote ourselves to a lot of really positive, exciting things and completely miss the the call on us to keep the bride of Christ pure and untainted by the sin of the world. May that not be true. But family, how do we prevent those things from happening? We affirm biblically rooted leaders the way God says they should be. And we do that together. And we don't make excuses or exceptions based on what we think we should do or what we feel like is going to be easier or better. We do exactly what God calls us to because His way is best. And in all of this, in verse 4, there's the reward spoken. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And I'm going to tell you right now that sometimes we can mistake eternal rewards through an earthly lens. And we think, oh, well, this person is just leading because they're going to get a greater reward. I'm going to tell you anyone who thinks that by them leading that they're going to bolster all these really nice things in eternity is not leading for the right reasons. Because the humility in leadership goes, I have received all the reward that I ever desire in my salvation. And it's in that, it's through that, that God gives great rewards. It's why Jesus said in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, over and over, he said, don't do these things to be seen by men. Because if you do, that's all the rewards you're going to see. If your sole motive is to be seen by others, then them seeing you is all the rewards you're going to get from that. Paul reminds the Galatian church of the same thing. Am I a servant of man or a servant of Christ? If I'm a servant of man, I am no longer a servant of Christ. Our leading is to stem from our understanding of the gospel. Leading biblically looks like Jesus. I want to take you one last place this morning. I want you to flip with me to John chapter 13. As we think about Jesus as the example for what leadership should look like. And while you're turning there, I'm going to ask those who've been asked to serve communion this morning to go ahead and come forward. And you see, in John chapter 13, what we see is actually the beginning of what would be then referenced back to as the Lord's Supper. And when we take communion, we focus a lot on what happens in the middle of this time. And we can easily lose sight of what happened at the beginning of this time. In John chapter 13, this is before the feast of Passover. Jesus knew that his hour had come. This is verse 1. To depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper... 
When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. You see, there's a confidence there. Rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. I always laugh at this part. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Wash all of me. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. In verse 31, he goes on, he says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Leading biblically looks like Jesus, family. In the same way that serving biblically looks like Jesus. God being gracious did not just give us a list of rules to follow. He gave us an example to follow. And when we come to the Lord's table, that's exactly what we're supposed to remember. We're supposed to remember that salvation is in Christ alone. And it's why when we come to the Lord's table, we say, if you don't believe Jesus is the way, if you don't say, I follow Jesus, then don't take this. Not because there's some poison, but rather when we take this together... We are saying to one another, 
I follow Jesus right alongside of you. It's a testimony. I believe Jesus is the only way, just like you. And in all the struggles and the differences and the uniqueness and how God has made us, we are united through Christ. And that's what matters. In the same way, I can tell you that our leaders in this church are a unique group of guys who have unique experiences in the past and unique giftedness in the present and yet have a yearning and a desire to see the church glorify the name of God. Oftentimes to their own detriment, to their own time loss, to their, their own struggle. And it's because they eagerly yearn for all of us to unite together around Jesus and pursue what matters. To fix our eyes on Him and no one else. May that be something we hold on to. Because I don't know how many days I have left on this earth. I pray the Lord gives me much time right here in Canton, Illinois to continue the gospel ministry God has entrusted to us. But none of us know. And so the day that I'm not here, family, may you hold fast to what the Bible teaches leaders should be and do. Because there will come a day. And who we choose to be now sets the tone for generations to come. And may we not lose a fixation, not on me, not on any one of our leaders, but on Jesus himself. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, as we take this together, we do so with our eyes set on you. Lord, may we pause in this moment to reflect and answer the question, who do we follow? Who do we follow, God? May it be you and you alone. And may you refocus us as we prepare to leave this place, knowing that we step into a world that needs you and you alone. Use us, God, and use this time to remind us of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray.